Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, this is Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell A. Swilly. I'm here with the scholars, brothers Amos and Macaroo. So much to do, so little time. To quote the distinguished brother, our departed brother, the great Amos Wilson, he writes, we should bring into the discussion domain the issue of power. The European victimizes us simply because he can, and he has the power to do so. We as African people have not developed the power to prevent him from doing so. We have not studied the accumulation of power, its use and its application. He reminds us that power does not flow from the genes of white folk. Power flows from the intentionality of white folk and one of their intentions is to dominate black people. This is a great Amos Wilson talking. I remember him saying on one of the tapes that we have been taught to issue power and seek glory. (laughs) We have been taught that power is evil or to pursue it is an evil thing. Power corrupts, he used to say, an absolute power corrupts absolutely, but then conversely, powerlessness, it corrupts and it corrupts absolutely. We're talking about the dimensions of power and the power to define as Clinton Cox used to say, I call you an Indian and a savage so I can behave savagely. The white man is characterized and noted by his ongoing desire to project his pathology onto his victims. It is an obsession, or he has an obsession with the criminality of other people. Thus, if I call you a criminal, be you Mr. Lloyd, George, or whoever, George Lloyd, well, then I can treat you as a criminal. I don't care if you are criminal or not. In other words, you're basically guilty. You just have to, you have not been caught or apprehended. This is Amos Wilson. Um, take it away, Jim, gentlemen, whoever you want to take it. A baby for Hodie, African family there. Certainly a lot of things uh, swirling around that uh, we, we need to discuss. Obviously, the ongoing uh, George Floyd rebellion, uh, the power elites uh, reaction uh, to it, some of the um, positive reactions that we have seen from our brothers and sisters on the uh, motherland of Africa. One of the things that that struck me was this massive outpouring of symbolism. It just down, I mean, it 
it, it, it's coming at us so fast from so many different and unexpected angles. I mean, who would ever have expected NASCAR of all sports to say that the Confederate flag would no longer be allowed at their racetracks? I don't know how they plan to prevent that. And when when the Confederate flag show up, what are they going to do about it? Because they're surely going to show up. Uh, I have a very unusual experience for a person of African descent growing up uh, in the United States and in the South. Uh, my father, for whatever reason, became a fan of NASCAR. And this must have been in the early, early 1960s. And he used to take me to racetracks. And I'm telling you, we were inundated with Confederate flags. I mean, it's not something I would even consider doing today. Uh, I mean, being um, in a crowd of 100,000 white people and there might be 100 black people there. Of course, my father was a World War II veteran. He carried a gun everywhere he went, but he couldn't carry one into uh, the racetrack. But we would go to places like Darlington, South Carolina, for example. The name of the race was the Rebel 300, and there were Confederate flags literally everywhere. I only had one problem, an incident actually out here in Charlotte at, at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. I won't, I won't go into that, but uh, it's, it's just amazing how, how the symbolism is being laid on. And the way, uh, the way we, uh, I attempted to, to explain it is this. America's power elite driven by vanity and expediency is in a mad scramble to return conditions to the norm. The norm being the absence of tension versus the presence of justice. Of course, of course, those words come to us from the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The objective of the George Floyd rebellion should be a protracted mass-based struggle for the presence of justice, which requires power. Remember Dr. King's words, cowardice asked the question, is it safe? Expediency asked the questions, is it politic? Vanity asked the question, is it popular? But conscience asked the question, is it right? There's no doubt in my mind that these people are not the least bit concerned about moral conscience. I mean, why, why would they be? Why, I mean, first of all, you're talking about something that doesn't exist for... <laughs> you know, overwhelmingly, but, uh, you know, that's what's happening. And so you have uh, streets being painted uh, with Black Lives Matter on it and all these corporations, uh, Nike declaring that Juneteenth will now be a paid holiday. I mean, they are laying the symbolism on very, 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 very thick. And uh, one of the other things, you know, that has happened quite amazingly is as corporate America scrambles to return to the norm, they are making monetary commitments to certain organizations. Mm. And uh, these the, the, the commitments now uh, total uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.6 billion. Wow. Uh, led, led by Bank of America with, a, with $1 billion. Uh, Michael Jordan and the Jordan brand, 100,000. Sony Music group, which has done massive uh, destruction to the black community, con uh, contributing significantly to the uh, psychodynamics of black self-annihilation in service of white domination, Walmart, uh, Google, Universal uh, Music Group, my, 
who has been more uh, who has contributed more to the self-destruction and the psychodynamics of black self-annihilation than um, than Universal uh, Music Group, Spotify, Amazon, Facebook, General Motors, Goldman Sachs, Target. I mean, it it, it just goes on and on. Uh, among some of the organizations that will receive this money, some legit and some questionable, Black Lives Matter, the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, the Black Bail Project, the Equal Justice Initiative, as Brother Brian Stevenson's organization, and they do very good work. The Center for Policing Equity, Campaign Zero, Project NIA, Color of Change, Until Freedom, Loveland Foundation, the Southern Poverty Law Center, Action Fund. That's a questionable donation. 100 Black Men, uh, some of these people I don't know about. Marsha P. Johnson Institute, We the Protesters, the ACLU, and the NAACP in general. So obviously the objective here, yeah, like I said, is to uh, return to the norm. And what, uh, what one of the... Uh, People who commented on this said, what is, what is surprising is the paucity of corporations and the stinginess of the donations. In a sense, this, show, this shows the true regard corporate America has for black people and is in actuality why marches and demonstrations were required in the first place. The corporations in the, in, in, in the database that uh, made these donations earned over $400 billion in 2019 and they go on to say while we understand that the level of uncertainty in the economy warrants uh conservation of monetary resources these institutions are the primary beneficiaries of the fed's corporate credit facility a 6.7 trillion dollar expansion in the federal reserve's balance sheet specifically designed to help these corporations so the fed is essentially giving them 6.7 trillion dollars because they are obviously too big to fail. And uh, they, they, uh, the commentator goes on to say, once the heat is off, how do we know uh, if these corporations will make good on their pledges? You know, unlike Colin Kaepernick, who made good on every dime of what he pledged. So, you know, this is part of what's going on. Part of what's going on. It's always, it's always about uh, trying to get ahead of the curve and bend it in a, in a, in a, in a direction where it, it serves as no threat uh, to their uh, their power, their wealth, and their and their prestige. I'm, I'm talking here about the power elite and uh, their managers in the uh, political uh, power structure, and the other people who who benefit, you know, from uh, their largesse. So, you know, that that's just one of the things. Uh, you know, I, there's some other things I'd like to talk about, but uh, you know, I'm gonna throw it around and let the other brothers comment. Well, you know, as Chris Edges once commented, the thing that he was amazed by during the uh, Ferguson Rebellion was the speed of co-optation. You know, and uh, <clears throat> this is clearly one of the uh, objectives is to cool things off without bringing about any fundamental change, per se. Thus, we have well, to ask yeah. the question. Go ahead. Go ahead. What no, constitutes I'm, I'm, fundamental change? Exactly. And, you know, the. Although the people in Ferguson were were heroic in terms of maintaining a protest for, you know, about 90 straight days, the grassroots organizers in that community, Darren Seals and others. 
But it is a fact that the neoliberal establishment, the conservatives really didn't seem to care that much about about that uh, as co compared to, you know, their reactions today. Uh, but the George Soros uh, element and, you know, his uh, people like like him uh, sent in the Teach for America people, the D. Ray McKessons and others who tried to co-opt the grassroots organization. And we also saw uh, the presence of uh, these uh, white anarchists on the streets of Ferguson, but they weren't as effective in Ferguson as they as they, uh, you know, have been, you know, throughout this country. And I think it's largely because Ferguson was a grassroots movement. Ferguson set the type of example that we need, uh, you know, the organizations should be grassroots and they should be local. If people want to go in to help, that's fine. But, but what you really should be doing, you know, is organizing in your own community. You know, don't you don't go running somewhere every time something happens because Wherever you leave it from, you know, the problems exist right there in your community. And then, of course, we saw uh, they, they sent Sharpton in and Eric Holder went down there. And then eventually the congressional black hypocrites, uh, you know, but this is a bit different when you got Bank of America giving a billion dollars. Michael Jordan, a hundred million and, you know, Sony Walmart, uh, the, the Walton family. Are you, mm. are you serious? <laughs> I mean, are you really, really, really serious? I mean, so that that goes to show, I think, uh, how concerned they are about the potential of this. Of course, of course, to make this rebellion successful, as as we've said before, because you know we've learned from those organizers that preceded us, the Jamil Elamines, Kwame Therese, and others. The protest can only be used as an organizing tool for power. That's all they can be used for. And if they if they're not being used for that, then then you what you'll have is reform, and reforms will be eventually overturned, not enforced, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I know I almost wants to get in. I mean, so you know, go ahead, brother. Yeah, my assessment of everything that's happening, I saw also PayPal committed five hundred over $530 million as well. And my assessment is that whites never throw away money. For them, it's an investment for a particular reason. That reason could be multiple things. It could be that they feel as though they can quiet down the movement from moving into more of an authentic movement that would really lead to real revolution which would cause a lot of bloodshed in their community that could be one fear that they're trying to use this money to invest in their protection another thing could be that they are investing in these black organizations and in some cases black businesses to sort of groom these businesses so that they will have some stake in these businesses and profit to some extent from the business's success. Uh, we know that there's a growing fear of the growing Mexican or Latino population in this country. And one of the ways to neutralize that population growth is to stimulate the black community and build a bridge 
that you can use or an alliance that you can use against the Mexican or Latino community from growing because it's easier for Europeans to blend black people into their culture than it is for them to blend Mexicans or Hispanics or Latinos into their culture because Mexicans, number one, they still speak a different language. And number two, they carry a lot of their culture into their business ventures and their lifestyle and their everyday practices. Whereas a lot of black people really live like Europeans uh, based on how we interact in our lifestyle, language, and culture here in America. It's only a small group of conscious Africans that really go out of their way to try to dress differently, um, practice different spiritual systems, learn to speak different African languages. That's not the typical everyday American Negro. The third, uh. the third thing is that whites could see this as a future investment in their relationship with, with black people, which will help them with their relationship with African people on the African continent. If they can somehow convince our people here that racism is cured and that we <laughs> have, you know, giving you reparations and now we should work together, then let's work together to exploit Africa. That could be their mindset because they are losing leverage on the African continent to countries like China. Even France is losing leverage in West Africa because a lot of Africans on the continent are waking up. And it's a similar play that they used in 2008 when they used President Obama as the new face of the black face of white supremacy around the globe. Mm -hmm. So that's right. That's right. One thing, one of the things we know about white supremacy is white supremacy does not end. Often it just changes form. And that's right. That's right. This could be, this could be another phase of it changing forms and trying to lure black people into an alliance to number one, protect themselves and also invest in their future. Yeah, white supremacy. You know, good points, good points, good points because because they they are definitely planning for the for the time when they will be a minority in in the United States. They're already a global minority. And shrinking further by, you know, due to their reduced, uh, you know, replacement rates. You know, I mean, these folks are literally dying out. Uh, but, but, but you, but you on you on point, brother. Almost they, they will be playing everybody against everybody. And Bro- brother, as Dr. Amos Wilson said, you know, as on. far as far as we are concerned. You know, Dr. Wilson, you know, speaking to us in the uh, developmental psychology, the black child said the history of the African in America is the history of the world's most massive and successful experiment in behavior modification, attitude change. And, you know, that's that's the that's been the real disadvantage, the way we were stripped of language, culture, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so you, you're on point, brother. You, you definitely on point. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah, if I may, man, uh, to your point, Macaroo, uh, apologize for attempting to interrupt there. Uh, <clears throat> Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, mentioned recently that uh, he would consider reparations, which is a political ploy, of as course. long as 
okay, as long as uh, the indigenous people, the so-called Indians, are taken into consideration, you're talking about pitting one against the other. Uh, you know, Head just pointed out, points out, as well as Howard Zinn and many others, you know, in, in too many instances, the system will sacrifice a part in order to save the whole. And then thirdly, uh, it was brought to my attention that uh, the young lady, Alicia Garza, actively discouraged discourages black solidarity with anybody outside the borders of the U.S. You know, this is antithetical to the thinking of Malcolm X and some of the other uh, nationalist activists who, all, who uh, definitely tried to establish international linkages. But uh, <clears throat> once people receive this money, like Amos Wilson reminds us, is that they're going to put conditions on it. You know, uh, conditions for the funding, potentially, possibly, is that uh, many of these recipients of these funds uh, from multinational corporations will not try to um, establish uh, any linkages with people who uh, are, are suffering as a result of a common uh, plight binding predicament. You know, mm -hmm. along with uh, all of the above, along with what uh, Brother Amos has, uh, you know, articulated. And also exactly. an, another point I think that is important to note is what we're seeing right now across mainstream media and what's being broadcasted uh, with Black Lives Matter, with a lot of white people joining in to these protests. I saw a white lady driving down the highway today and on the back of her uh, window, she had spray painting or written black lives matter so you you have I a lot of the same one i saw <laughs> you have a lot of white people who are participating in this and some white people are participating because they are naturally uh fed up with the police the police state in this country but at the same time when you have all of these conversations taking place about race one of the things I know about Europeans is when they feel marginalized, then they come out of the corner like a rabbit dog. So the deep state and the mainstream media may be pushing this agenda, thinking that it's going to lead to a Joe Biden election and it may backfire on them. And you may see white people come out in droves who feel like their power is being taken away from them and reelect Donald Trump for another presidential term so I think that you have to really assess the direction that this is going this is not just a war that's happening between blacks and whites this is also a war that's happening between Anglos and small hats and it's also a war that's happening on the inside of the small hat community between the Western corporate small hats and the Eastern uh, Zionist small hats. So there is, there are multiple battles and wars that are taking place and there are a lot of different agendas going on. Even within this George Floyd situation, there are a lot of different agendas that are taking place right now as we speak with different groups trying to leverage their position for 
something that will benefit their specific group. You have mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. the uh, LGBT community is definitely trying to take advantage of this George Floyd situation. We already know that Black Lives Matter was an organization that was founded by two lesbian women and another black woman. And on top of that now, a lot of the people in the LGBTQ community are even replacing the Black Lives Matter with all Black Lives Matter written in rainbow colors of the LGBT flag. Hmm. So there's but, a lot but, there's a lot going on, like I said, where people are leveraging for power and leveraging for their own potential benefit. It, it, it seems to me, brother, that um, the common denominator and the thing that's being overlooked, you know, as I take 74 toward uh, Rutherford County, is that you got 50 million people who are unemployed. You know, people involved in the culture war, 50 million people unemployed. The racist institution attacking its historical enemy, black people, 50 million people unemployed. You know, it's uh, something that has, um, it seems to me that uh, has been obscured given the various agendas that you talked about. Right. And, and with that unemployment, you have a government that continues to just print money without anything backing the money or giving it any value. So people only can assume where that's going to lead the economy of the United States in the near future. Many people predict that the banking system, not just in the United States, but globally, is close to collapsing. And that's something that's been talked about even since the 1970s when it, when MIT first did a, a study on the American or the global consumption rate that was taking place. And they predicted that if America and the world continue to consume at this rate, then the system would collapse by the year 2030. So with this pandemic and everything that's happening with the economy now and everything that's happening in the financial system since 2008, it could speed up to be, to happen a lot faster than that. Well, uh, yeah, this is what, uh, this one gentleman, Alfred McCoy is saying in the shadows of the American uh, uh, century that uh, at whatever point the dollar no longer becomes the uh, reserve currency, you're going to see a collapse. Uh, They will impose austerity measures. Uh, The prices of consumer goods will escalate and uh, all hell will break loose. Well, you know, I think I think this combination of factors, this combination of of uh, of events uh, a phenomena that that have exploded in the United States, uh, beginning with the uh, colossal incompetence of this government in responding to uh, the COVID nineteen COVID nineteen pandemic, and the, the, the their knee jerk reaction 
to it, you know, once they allowed it to to advance to the point where, you know, where it became a major problem, then has has led to uh, massive, you know, unemployment. Of course, large segments of the African community in the United States was already experiencing massive unemployment. We've been experiencing massive unemployment quite frankly, uh, since the 1970s, accelerated uh, through the 80s, and then with uh, NAFTA, uh, sick Willie Clinton, and and, and, uh, and the overturn of the, the Taft-Hartley bill and, 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 and law and all of those kinds of things, uh, deindustrialization, you know, had a, has had a devastating impact on the employment, particularly of black males in the 50 largest urban centers of the United States. I mean, a lot of people don't even realize, for example, that in cities like Chicago and Detroit and Cleveland, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, uh, St. Louis, for example, uh, a lot of the urban centers, over 70% of the black males between the ages of uh, 16 and 64 were employed in some capacity in 1970 and the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee did a study in 20 in 2010 and what they found that in many of these cities the only the the the, the percentage of uh, black males in that age group employed had fallen into the mid 40s or in some instances to to below 45% so what you had in a in a lot of communities you had uh, seven out of ten black males being employed uh, in various uh, blue-collar manufacturing industries, you know, uh, steel, the steel industries, automobile, uh, rubber manufacturing, all, all other types of things that used to be made in the United States, you know, from you know household appliances, uh, these types of things, and it fell, you know, to uh, from. <laughs> from seven out of 10 to, you know, 4.5 out of 10 or, you know, uh, or less, I think. Charlotte actually had, where we're broadcasting from, had 78%, nearly 80%. And it was down to about 56, 56 or 58% Atlanta, the same. The highest uh, percentage was actually, that was still employed in 2010 was in Washington, D.C. And of course, that's largely because so many people work. Uh, so many people of African descent work in the federal government, but of course, we see that uh, Donald Trump is trying to eliminate the post office, which will have a devastating impact on um, on the African community. So, yeah, this the, the, there is there is a perfect storm brewing. Uh, a lot of pundits have called America, called the United States. Now they compared it to the Weimar Republic. Uh, the, of Germany that emerged, uh, you know, after Germany was defeated in World War One and, and was forced to pay huge reparations, uh, you know, to uh, the countries uh, that that they're going to war against. And you know, the first first in line to demand these reparations, of course, was France, always the first to get overrun and then the first to start begging. But uh, you know, there are there there the, these conditions. Of uh, you had the massive unemployment, and then uh, you know the, the the cascade of police violence that that finally became a tipping point 
that finally became a tipping point. You know, we had, you know, we were just really and truly trying to wrap our heads around, you know, what had happened to Ahmaud Arbery, you know, in coastal Georgia and Breonna Taylor in Louisville. And of course, there, there are always others that are mixed in with this while, you know, while these known events are taking place. And then the George Floyd thing just tipped everything over the scales. Now, I think there are there are there are some definite concerns and you know I would like for the brothers to respond to you know what they think about this uh thing that just seemed to pop up out of the woodwork that has not been clearly defined and has different meanings defund the police but one of the things that uh that I'm seeing that I'm concerned about was is there has been a resurgence of uh COVID-19 cases in several states and i wonder and I, and i i'm not saying that people should not protest but even but you have to protest with with some with some degree of intelligence in in terms of protecting yourself particularly when you're screaming hollering you know f the police black lives matter no justice no peace uh, the whole damn system is guilty as hell. When you're saying these kinds of, you, you're spreading these droplets. And I'm wondering if there will be, uh, you know, uh, a spike in, 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 in the number of coronavirus cases among the people who are protesting. The other thing is, one, one thing we saw after the Ferguson Rebellion, uh, after the killing of Freddie Gray in Baltimore, we saw the police pull back from the piss poor job they were already doing in terms of policing our community. What we have to understand is that that public safety is a human right. You know, the Chinese pointed this out to uh, the United States several years ago when they accused China of violating the human rights of uh, people in China. And they say, well, you know, you know, what, what about all the people in the United States who are dying in the streets? Public safety is a human right. The police department was 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 designed, the earliest police forces, you know, we said this before, we, we just repeat it because it's relevant. They were designed to protect specific people and their property. Mm -hmm. The African community in the United States has never experienced the human right of public safety. And we saw literally in, in, in Chicago a couple of weekends ago, we, we saw 18 people killed in one day. Now, I don't have no doubt with all of these uh, face masks that they have now where, you know, we, we saw these bank robbers putting on these face masks with afros, you know, to look like they were black. I mean, they even got the gloves. They can put on skin tone gloves to kind of match the face mask. I mean, it's become a science, to be honest with you. And and and, and because... Until somebody and, and until they can close, until the until the homicide clearance rate is 100 percent, the average homicide clearance rate in the United States is around 60 to 65 percent. That means 40 to 35 percent of the homicides are never solved. I'm not I'm, I'm not convinced that all these homicides are being being committed, you know, by people in these communities. And now with this situation that you have now, uh you know, it really just gives them even more opportunity. So I'm concerned about a spike because because we got to understand 
we got people who are ma massively unemployed. They were already suffering. And so they say, well, black people are killing one another. Well, what were the Irish and the Italians doing? What were the Irish doing to one another in the post-Civil War period? What were the Italians doing and the Irish gangs, the, you know, the, the, the Bugs Moran, uh, you know, the Al Capones? I mean, what were these guys doing during uh, alcohol prohibition? You create the conditions, then you get, you know, this kind of violence. So I'm, I'm you know, that those are some things that, that we have to be concerned about. And the fact, and the fact of the matter is, these protests are taking place where you don't have the general consciousness mm. in the community that you had during the 1960s, where, where you know, we had reduced rates of crime and uh, and violence in our communities because we had such high levels of consciousness that people were focused. People had clearly knew who the enemy was. So, I mean, you know, those are just some of the things that, that, that we need to be concerned about going forward. What's going to happen in two weeks, you know, when this incubation period uh, is up and, you know, and, and how many of these, because a lot of these people are young, they'll be asymptomatic, right? And, you know, going home to grandma or, you know, whatever. I mean, it, man, I tell you, this... Brother, I don't know. It, it, it's a perfect storm. And the sad part about it is the African community in the United States is totally unprepared, you know, for what could likely come down because the American empire is definitely going to collapse. It's just a matter of when and how it takes place. Go ahead, brothers. Well, I want to respond to well, the, the, the uh, point you raised about defunding the police. I remember uh, growing up watching TV shows like Sanford and Son and uh, Good Times, shows like that on TV. And there were episodes where they would call the police and the police would ask them if they were black or if they were white. And in some cases, they would try to act white to try to get the police to show up faster because if the police knew they were black or lived in the black community, then a lot of times they wouldn't show up if they showed up at all, they would show up late. I don't know how true that was off of television, but if you go into the idea of defunding the police, there's a lot of things that could take place. So even though we know that there is police brutality, it would, it would definitely be anarchy if there were no police in the current state that American people are in. Now, we know originally in Africa, we didn't have jails and we had what you would consider to be police, but it was not in the same context as you would think of in regards to police officers in the United States. Um, I think that it's too many smart people that can come up with solutions to these issues, but they don't really want to deal with the real problem. Now, my philosophy is to withdraw from the system completely. And that means that African people, we should get to a point where we mentally, emotionally, and physically withdraw ourselves from this American system, build a system of our own. And that way we can create the laws that we want and have the power to protect our people. But if I was living in this society and I wanted to be a part of this system, 
my suggestion would be a few different suggestions. The first is if the problem is that people are being killed by these guns, then why not take these police officers' guns away? <laughs> I heard that. That's the first. Well, brother, if, 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 if I may, uh, you know, articulate uh, what we may describe, what we have described as a step pyramid, we're talking about the demands should be toward the democratization of the relationship that the police have with the community. We've heard for over 50 years about the possibility of the police establishing a residency clause, thus having a vested interest. You give a damn when you live in the community, your kids go to school in the community, the churches, they participate in the various civic organizations, which was articulated by Bobby Seal uh, way back in the during the time when I was in uh, middle school, uh, an elected community board, which uh, formulates policy, regulates policy. They have subpoena power and uh, investigative ability, hiring and right. firing policy. You know, right. and then the right. other thing, if I remember correct, you know, you got to elect a special prosecutor who is uh, disconnected from the system so that, uh, you know, some of these heinous crimes uh, uh, committed by white supremacists or black supremacists, white supremacists and black face, they don't feel that they have carte blanche. And, uh, you know, there's another element uh, uh, that I can't think of right now, but it has uh, everything to do with, um, uh, I can't think of the term, but typically when a police like... Uh, Darren Wilson commits a heinous crime, well then, via the police unions, they are not obligated to disclose his records. So consequently, those police are hired without any type of um, real inquiry as to the mental state, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but I think- Yeah, well, you know, almost, I almost but, suggested that last, uh, last week, you know, that, that you know, because we're critical thinkers, you know, we think in practical terms and, and we understand that these are only reforms and reforms give a measure of relief. But but the, the fight for reforms can be a, an organizing tool. And and one of the things that Brother almost suggested last week, you know, one of the main priorities should be the elimination of qualified immunity. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You, but you I guess my point, you had a my point that I'm making about the guns is that if Darren Wilson didn't have that gun, he wouldn't have been able to kill Mike Brown the way that he did. If George Zimmerman didn't have that gun, he would not have been able to kill Trayvon Martin the way that he did. Now, I know a lot of people who are pro-gun and pro-Second Amendment may take this as me speaking of taking people's gun rights away. I don't think that when the Constitution was written and spoke of the Second Amendment, the guns that exist today did not exist at that time. They had no idea that people would be able to walk around with a pistol in their pocket that could that could carry 15 to 16 rounds in the clip and be able to kill people. They didn't have an idea that people would be able to have assault rifles with 30 in the magazine and be able to kill people. These people at that time were still shooting. They were still shooting muskets. 
<laughs> so if the rule, that's right. If, 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 if the rule was that you can own a shotgun or you can own a handgun, if you do own a handgun, very low capacity uh, magazine, then that could be a difference maker. One of the things that I see and don't take this the wrong way. I know a lot of people, they listen to what I say and then they get offended from some of the things that I say, but even animals are treated with more dignity when they are being apprehended wild animals than black people and even white people. If, if, if a wild animal was, let's say for example, a gorilla was spotted in somebody's backyard and they called out animal control. Are they going to bring a gun? Are they going to bring a, tra a tranquilizer? They're going to tranquilizer. So they're going to put the they're animal to sleep. But at the same time, that animal is right. The animal is going to live. So with all the smart people exactly. we have, you mean there's no technology that you can create that will allow a police officer to put somebody down temporarily without killing them. And then at the same time, yeah. uh, a lot of these police officers, I said it last week, if they were prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law as everybody else is, then you would see a lot of these killings also go away. So those yeah, we're still going back. Exactly. We're, still talk we're, we're talking go about ahead. the issue of power. We're talking about the issue, you know, once again, with power, and uh, from a developmental standpoint, we've mentioned on the show a thousand times that the U.S. Western, whatever you want to call it, I hesitate to use the word civilization. Uh, we have never really graduated towards civilization. Still operating at the level of barbarism, uh, to say the least. And uh, you know, like Dr. King said um, in the speech that got him killed, he said that the world demands the maturity of America that it may not be able to achieve. We it's can a add as an addendum that it, has, that it has not achieved uh, race being a litmus test for maturity. It's right. a lot of countries out right. there where their police officers don't carry guns. Don't even carry guns in the United Kingdom. Right. That's right. And they don't have as many yeah, police murders even, because of that. Even the way that right, and it, even the way it, that it, our, our brother Rodney the King, the citizens don't carry guns either. Rodney King got beat down on the side of the of the highway, and even the way he got beat down, he still lived to see another day. That's the difference between that was police brutality to the fullest, but Rodney King didn't die. Yeah, it, it, it's something in the white so, psyche as it relates to guns. Like in the state of Missouri, brother, state I've driven through many times, you know, clearly there's a correlation between white suicide and the lax gun laws. Well, then you have these white, you, you have know, these white, uh, these white quote unquote patriots like, you know, Alex Jones and others who say, you know, if you take our guns away, it's going to be tyranny, 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 tyranny. Well, if the military, the military is always going to have guns. So if you are in a disagreement with the government and you feel like the government is going to take your rights away, your, your government, this is their government, the American government, the America that they believe in, then at that point, why not just go join the military and fight against your own government? 
brother they are <laughs> ignorant they are ignorant they will con they, they they will not confront the most powerful they scapegoat the most vulnerable but what i was going to say about a lot of the folk in missouri when i used to drive through there is the fact that there was a time when uh black people africans brothers sisters could not carry guns only white people could this is closely associated with white privilege right you know? now, now and, that uh, that i'm that i'm against i'm thing, against one people yeah. being able to have it and other people not if, if come on come if, on if if if, if you're going to create a system where nobody has guns then i'm okay with that i, I would rather live in a, yeah. gun, a gunless society if i knew that that it that it was everybody was held to the same standard as far as not being able to have a firearm and that goes for not only the citizens but the police etc etc nobody walking around here should have that capability but if you're talking about prohibiting one group from getting a gun while other people be able to own guns then nah that's not that's not a level playing field and in that case then i tell all black people that you need to arm yourselves at all costs especially in a white supremacist society right you know one of the things man we have to understand we have to understand is that you know doc dr wilson told us about this she told us the symbolic relationship of the gun to white supremacy the gun representing the phallus of the white male these people are not giving up their guns and of course almost already knows this mm. and he's just taking you know he's talking theoretically but you know what we see in these situations a lot of times man is these officers are just poorly trained and you just look at the look at the video from the brother Rashard Brooks in Atlanta apparently sleeping in his car you know, at Wendy's, uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, I, I mean, we can talk about how that situation could have been handled in so many different ways. Brother, just pull out the line and park, you know, we'll, we, we'll take you home. Right. I mean, we, we, I, I can't arrest you for driving while impaired because, you know, you're not driving, you're sitting. Uh, you know, you behind the wheel, maybe that allows them to do that. But I mean, just this brother supposedly intoxicated, tussling with two white males, is supposedly able to get the best of them and allegedly take a taser and, and start running. Uh, the autopsy has just been released, and we find that he was shot in the back. I mean, the, the look, I'm telling you, man, they, guns, they're not going to be eliminated here in the United States. That That is just not going to happen. What African people are going to have to figure out is how are we going to protect ourselves? How how are we going to protect our community? Because, because we have the potential... You know, because of the massive unemployment, we have the potential for crime within and then the state state sponsored violence from without. And then, of course, we don't know, you know, these militias are going to go berserk at some point. So, you know, we don't have a Black Panther Party. We don't have a Black Liberation Army. So, uh, you know, we got that situation. And then the other situation that um, 
that, you know, we have the 62 year old brother that was killed by the police in his home. This this brother was handicapped. This brother only had use to one one of his hands or one of his limbs. Mm. And they were supposedly called because they were called because supposedly because of a, a domestic issue. Uh, if you listen to his wife, uh, she has a, a speaking uh, and she's impaired in terms of her speaking. Clearly, I doubt that she could have called 911. Who called 911? I don't know. But when they arrived at the home, he told them there was no problem. You know, they could, you know, they could just go ahead and leave. According to the lawyer, they barged into the home. They claim he tried. Here's a man with literally just the use of one of his hands, two police officers. He supposedly tried to grab a weapon from them. Okay, now look, anybody's fired an automatic. Unless there's one round in the chamber, how many? Is it possible? How difficult it is, is it almost to cock an automatic weapon with one hand? It depends on the weapon. It depends. Okay, it depends on the weapon. Yeah, it depends on the weapon. Okay. Uh, the family says, the family says that when the police barged in, he was turning away from them. Uh, these were uh, Los Angeles County deputies, and uh, they, they are not required to wear body cameras. So they killed his 62-year-old brother in his home. They killed his 62-year-old brother in his home, and we'd have to wait for the autopsy to see exactly where he was shot. Okay. Uh, and then we have the situation of the uh, the, the lynching uh, of, 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 of the young man, uh, you know, out, out, out there in California also, uh, which is very similar to a lot of, you know, Robert Fuller found hanging uh, in, in, in a park. Um, uh, you know, we had a case here in North Carolina in 2017 of 17-year-old uh, Lennon Lacey, uh, you know, who was found hanging from a swing in Bladenboro. Uh, North Carolina, and then uh, in 2018, Willie Willie Jones Jr. was found hanging from a tree in Scott County, Mississippi. They always claim that these brothers are hanging themselves, mm -hmm. right? So a black man is gonna find a tree to hang himself in, right? I mean, uh, to to me, I, I, you know, this is what my response to this this situation was. Uh, you know, individual acts of police violence must be seen as a systemic problem. And, you know, I'm going to read a quote from uh, the, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Martinez, who was a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, a brilliant scholar. She says the most common mistake people make when they talk about racism is to think it's a collection of prejudices and individual acts of discrimination. They do not see it as a system, a web of interlocking, reinforcing institutions, economic, military, legal, educational, religious, and cultural. As a system, racism affects every aspect of life in this country. By not seeing that racism is systemic part of a system, people often personalize or individualize racist acts. For example, they will reduce racist police behavior to a few bad apples who need to be removed rather than seeing that it exists in police departments all over the country and is basic to society. This mistake has real consequences. Refusing to see the see police brutality as part of a system, and that part of a, and 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 that part of a system that needs to be changed means that the brutality will continue. The need to recognize racism as being systemic is one reason the term white supremacy has been more useful than the term racism. So that you know that was Dr. 
martini. So the, the reason I make this, I'm raising this point is because I, you know, I'm on this no kneeling campaign. I think, you know, Camper Nick's kneeling has certain, you know, that served its purpose. As Brother almost said, it was a need to kill George Floyd. You can't go around kneeling with parts of a system when the entire system is the problem. So, I mean, that, that's the mentality we have to develop. That's right. But, you know, but what we're seeing, we see the police marching with people, people kneeling with the police and all this. Listen, man, you don't you, you, you really don't understand what you're dealing with and you don't un, you don't understand the extent of the problem. It's not true. Uh, one li- other it's thing not I true do want to get you. Go ahead, brother. Go ahead. Go say, ahead. It's not it's not real, true liberation. It's integration all over again. And before you go into your next point, I want to talk about what happened with the Rashawn Brooks situation okay this brother was fighting police officers the only thing that really makes me mad in these situations is that and i told people this before when you're in a war like this and you're dealing with police police officers who are ready to kill you before they even approach you You have to have the mentality that I have to make it home alive. Now, if your philosophy is or your tactic is to resist arrest with the police, then you have to be prepared to go all the way. Because if you don't, then you're going to end up getting shot. So it's got to be either it's going to be their life or it's going to be your life. If, If you want to resist you have to say to yourself, am I willing to take this police officer's life so that I can save my life? And if you're not willing to do that, then brothers, I'm telling you, just comply at that time so that you can so that you can live another day. Now this brother has a daughter that has lost her father and she'll never yeah. see her father again. So it's important that we think about that. Unless you're willing to go all the way and take that police officer's life in that moment, then just comply, take the charge, and keep it moving. Because yeah. resisting, and, you know, resisting and, and, and is only going to is only going to possibly lead to your death. Yeah, and 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 and, and I, I think there's a difference between you know there is such a thing, believe it or not, there is such a thing as self defense against the police. There yeah. is such a thing as that. I mean, you can't actually defend yourself. It's very difficult to prove. The Black Panther Party did it, uh, but that was like a, a, a shootout situation, you know, involving several people. One on one, it becomes it becomes more difficult to prove. And and what you're saying, brother, almost, you know, because some people don't understand it, what we're saying all the time. That's totally different from a situation. A, a brother like Ahmad Arbery, he didn't have, he had no choice. Right. He he. What choice did he have after you know, after being pursued for you know all that period of time, trying to get away and whatnot? He just made a desperate move to try to try to defend himself. So, you know, I agree with you. Uh, live to fight another day if you can. Uh, you know, I have not. I, I haven't seen the video, so I mean, I you know, I haven't haven't been able to dissect it. But one of the things I want to talk. How much time do we have left, brother? Uh, we just we just uh, hit the time, but uh, go ahead. Okay, all right. Uh, I I want to talk about this because 
uh, Friday uh, will be June the 19th. And, uh, you know, that is known to us and a lot of people in the African world, particularly Africans in the United States, as June, Juneteenth, uh, the commemoration of June 19th, 1865, when the uh, African population uh, in the Galveston area of Texas uh, found out that, uh, that the Civil War had, was over and that the Confederacy had lost and that the Emancipation Proclamation was, was in effect. Um, Donald Trump, and Trump could have just, you know, I thought I, I I I thought two things about this. Uh, I thought one, Trump just could 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 be Trump and the people around him, Kushner and all of the rest of the people around him, they just could have been totally ignorant of the situation. I don't know. At the same time, you know, I thought that I thought about Ronald Reagan, and actually that was the first thing I thought about. I thought about uh. When I when I heard that Trump had planned a a, a a rally, his first campaign rally in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, on June the nineteenth, Reagan went to Shelby uh, County. The, Reagan went to Philadelphia, Mississippi, in Neshoba County, where James Earl Cheney, Mickey Schwerner, and Andrew Goodman were killed in nineteen sixty four by the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, Preacher Killing and and the others, uh, the deputy Cecil Price, obviously in, involved in in, in in several others, uh, never convicted of actual murder, but the uh, Johnson administration was able to uh, prosecute them for violating uh, the civil rights of the of of those workers of those uh of those three uh, people, uh, one African and, and two Europeans, and. Reagan started his campaign in 1980 in Philadelphia to send a clear message to the white supremacy dynamic that we're getting ready to roll back these small gains that African people have made through the 1960s, through these various laws. We're getting ready to roll this back. So, so I thought he was sending, I thought, initially I thought that he was probably trying to send a similar type of message, a message similar to to what Reagan sent uh, when he started his campaign in Philadelphia, uh, you know, it would have to be people that would would were tuned in and, and aware of of you know of the significance of the location. And uh, I, I thought I thought that that particularly since uh, we hear more and more uh, Trump uh, channeling the 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 campaign of Richard Nixon. And Spiro Agnew, the call for law and order, law and order, law and order. So I thought perhaps he was sending a message, but I also wouldn't put it beyond, uh, you know, these people, you know, that 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 their, their, their colossal ignorance to just not even be aware. But wh however it went, how, whatever happened, uh, pressure forced uh, them to uh, cancel, uh, to not cancel, but to move the rally from June the nineteenth. Uh, to the next day, to 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 June the twentieth. So uh, you know, Trump said that uh, you know he 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 said he recognized that the the rally would fall on Juneteenth, and many African many of many he says many of my African American friends and supporters have reached out to suggest that we consider changing the date out of respect for this holiday. And in and in observance of this important occasion and all that it represents, I have therefore decided to move our rally to Saturday. June the 20th. 
I don't know if Africa, if 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 uh, whoever the Candace Owens and the people around him can't probably don't have no idea of the significance of that history. But 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 what I saw, what I what what I reckon, what I saw in this was we are making some progress in terms of making people aware of our history because you know gullah jack when you and i were growing up and we when we were learning when we had negro history we didn't know nothing about what happened in the greenwood community of tulsa we we didn't know anything about that we didn't know nothing we didn't know nothing you you were right there in florida you may have known about rosewood but i didn't Okay. Brother, I heard the story, but it was too unfathomable for me to digest. Right, My grandmother told me. Right, and your and your mother actually saw a lynching. Was it in Jackson County? Where was that? Brother, you're giving me chill bumps. Uh, Jackson County. Uh, the body was taken to Greenwood, Florida, in Jackson County, and uh, hung on a pine tree. Yes, my mother did witness one of the most gruesome lynchings, where mm. they systematically tortured the brother cut his fingers off one at a time and just mutilated him mm. right and you know your mother as a young person saw this saw this but but what i'm what i'm the point i want to make is this that there was a segment there was a segment of people in our community you know trump can claim that he was you know candace owens and his friends or whatever i don't think they have that level of historical knowledge i think it was pressure from people who have been made aware of the, the of the history of what happened in Tulsa in 1921, May 31st through uh, June 1st, uh, June 2nd in, uh, in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 99 years ago. And they connected that to Juneteenth, the, the long struggle that took many forms, you know, from Elizabeth Freeman uh, suing for her Freeman to Harriet Tubman you know, on the Underground Railroad uh, to Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey, and so many others, so many other examples, you know, Richard Allen and those forming the, the AME church and, you know, and using the church to form the Free African School and those types of things. I mean, this long struggle, the fact that people were able to connect the dots, mm -hmm. I see as a positive. I see, it, it says that, is that, you know, those of us who have been out, you know, you know, trying to, you know, make our people aware of these things. Make because I mean, you know, 30 years ago, I mean, how many people would have been able to connect these dots? I mean, to say, oh, wow, June, June 19th in Tulsa. I mean, what's the you know, what's the problem? Oh, the Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre, you know, uh, between 300 and 3000 Africans. You, you know, they, they've just discovered what they think is a, a mass grave in Tulsa because we've never known exactly how many people were killed but 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 they're doing the research now because they believe they've actually discovered a mass grave in Tulsa that is 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 being you know explored and you know tested you know scientifically right now so the fact that people rose up and essentially said oh hell no yeah, you I think ain't that's doing power, this in I Tulsa think that's the power the, uh, the power of social media you know, once you have one person that posts something and it goes viral and other people start to like everybody might not be aware. But once they see that information, then they connect right. with it and then they share it. Another thing recently that that ran across social media that I wanted to discuss, too, before we close out. 
And I thought it was very important. And I don't know if, if either of you saw the 846 that David Chappelle did uh, the stand up. Uh, I've only seen I've only I've only seen parts of it, brother. Go ahead and tell us about it. Well, to make a long story short, white people have always legitimized what we know as crimes. They legitimize their crimes, and they make other people uh, celebrate a lot of their historical killers. Um, as Dr. Khalid Abdul Muhammad said, you know, America awards its killers. And -hmm. I think David Chappelle really, he really showed how much he's not controlled by the Europeans. Uh, We know that he quit his show uh, years back because he didn't like the direction that the show was going in. And then he spent some time. He wouldn't wear a dress. Right through his career, he wouldn't wear he wouldn't wear a dress, but the way that he raised up Christopher Dorner, Micah Xavier Johnson, and Cosmos and Tepera during that program, right when he said yeah, that, yeah, my daughter was telling me about that. He said the reason why these three men who used to be in the military decided to kill these police officers is because just like when they were in the military, they believe that they were fighting against terrorism right and people right. Would, people would demonize those three brothers and you get these different groups like the fbi and others who create this black identity extremists but we have to really mm-hmm. begin to understand that it's self-defense is a natural instinct of anybody that's living on this planet the law of survival, self-preservation, is something that's natural, and you can't demonize exactly. you can't demonize these brothers for reacting the way that they did. In our community, we should be raising these brothers up the same way that Dave Chappelle did, and the the, the same way that we raised up Nat Turner and other people in our history who took up arms to fight against white supremacists. And what they consider to be terrorism is the same way that these brothers in their time should be lifted up because they did the exact same thing. And I think we can't lose sight of that, especially when the movement is being interjected by whites and is being weakened across the board into another integrationist type of movement because they fear that type of reaction that they received from the Christopher Dorner the Michael Xavier Johnson and the Cosmos in Tepera. Let me ask you this. Um, so is the is the uh the uh Chappelle is is it on Netflix or YouTube or where YouTube. Is it? It's on YouTube. Okay, okay, definitely. I will I I I I I I think I may have seen part of it. Uh uh yeah, you may not agree with uh, all of the it. language, you know, you know, on this show we don't subscribe to the N word and all of that but the brother said it in his own way and i still think that it was powerful in the way that he delivered that entire program and i didn't well, look let me, let me just say this i mean to connect those dots you know uh you know you know dorner and and the uh, michael johnson the other brothers that's extraordinary 
that I mean to to say that they were responding to terrorism. I mean, Dave, Dave Chappelle is on a whole. You, I think it shows I that. I, I think it shows that Dave Chappelle. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think you call him a. I, I don't think you want to even call him an entertainer. This brother is on a whole. This brother's on a whole different level, man. Man, I think it shows that. I think Dave Chappelle honestly is tuned in to a lot of the information from the African Senate conscious community, and there's a lot of people who they may not consider themselves to be African Senate. They may not dress how we dress or talk like we talk, but they take a lot of the ideas and they still use them in their everyday life. And I think the way that right. David Chappelle pieced that together, I wouldn't be surprised if he's seen other people in our community relay that information, and now he's relaying the same information. Even the way that he relayed the information back in the day about how they always got brothers in Hollywood to wear a dress. I mean, at that point, right. David Chappelle could have been ostracized altogether at, at that point. But I think it speaks to the fact that when you stand on your square, and you stand on what you believe in and you don't waver, then ultimately people will respect you. G right. Gentlemen, I got to run. Uh, just one point I got to take off, and that's just movement politics. It's how people flex their power and uh, continue on. Uh, peace and blessings will be before the Hodi Okay, brother. Okay, brother. Uh, all right, we, we, we'll be talking to you. Uh, one other brother that... Dave Chappelle may have not known about um, Brother Almost, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't know about um, Mark Essex, mm -hmm. uh, a brother who had uh, had been in the Black Panther Party, uh, a former former uh, you know member of uh, uh, the United States Navy. Mm -hmm. uh, he's called. Uh, an American serial sniper because he killed nine people, including five policemen and wounded 13 others in New Orleans on December 31st, uh, 1972 and January 7th, 1973. He was killed in an armed confrontation. Uh, he was spurred by racism. He encountered while, you know, he was in the Navy. Obviously he was trained, uh, you know, to be a, to, to be a killer. And, uh, he responded, uh, to the terrorism, Mm -hmm. that he was seeing the killing of fred hampton mm -hmm. and others you know he you know the killing of dr king i mean you know he so you know mark essex mark essex uh you know when people you know mention the, the names of uh the others you know mark essex definitely should um should be a person uh you know that that, that should be that should be mentioned That's uh right. you know in that but finally i, I want i want to say in closing that uh this uh, coming weekend, June 19th, uh, uh, Brother Pap and Jai, our, our brother from Senegal, uh, the proprietor of the House of Africa and the the founder of the uh, Juneteenth of the Carolinas uh, Festival, he start, which he started in 1997. And uh, I have the privilege of serving as the official Juneteenth historian. We will be having a limited uh, celebration at the House of Africa. Obviously, North Carolina is still in phase two, which limits outside gatherings to 25 people. Uh, the uh, law enforcement agencies uh, knew that uh, they would not be, you know, what they knew the reaction, what type of reaction they would get if they attempted to enforce that during uh, the, all of these protests that have been taking place. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility 
that if we tried to have something like that, uh, just a festival celebrating African people, the African family, the African community, African culture, and you know, a significant historical event. I don't, I don't use the the common def, you know, common uh, descriptions of Juneteenth as a day of freedom, a day of independence. It was a day of transition out of uh, chattel slavery. You know, it it, it mm. did represent the end of chattel slavery. Uh, you know, it took place took place before the Thirteenth Amendment was passed. We didn't know that the Thirteenth Amendment would include a clause that didn't totally outlaw slavery. Uh, and certainly, the Africans that were you know were released from plantations uh, were not free. Freedom being the capacity to make choices to determine your own destiny. But what? But it was significant because you know at long last. Uh, the 246 years of, of chattel slavery uh, was grinded to a halt. Now, not all all of the 250,000 Africans and Texans were freed on that day, but you know it did become recognized, you know, as a day uh, to celebrate because people recognized the heroic efforts that African people had made, uh, including the 200,000 Africans who fought in the Civil War. 40,000 of those were killed. Uh, or died, you know, from diseases and, and those types of things. Some were slaughtered uh, as prisoners, you know, by these white supremacists in the Confederacy. So, you know, we'll be having uh, each day at the House of Africa, drum, uh, you know, drum circles, a small gathering. And uh, I just, just wanted to recognize that uh, just because uh, it is significant that, you know, Brother Papp started this in 1997 here but 23 years later, you know, we, we, we're still doing it. We are obviously first and foremost focused on the health of our people. The COVID-19, the coronavirus is raging, and I anticipate will get worse in our community over the next several weeks. So, you know, that's why, you know, we're going to have something limited uh, rather than, you know, trying to have a full-fledged festival, which we imagine the police would come in and shut down. And plus, we don't want Juneteenth to... Uh, our Juneteenth celebration to be known as a super spreading event, right? Where, you know, people, you know, we're encouraging people to wear face masks and those types of things. So I just wanted to make our listeners aware of that, that, you know, we will be doing that in Charlotte at the House of Africa on Thomas Avenue uh, this weekend, starting on, uh, starting on Friday, June the 19th. So you got any final words, brother? Uh, my final words are, don't let go of your guns if they still got this. Be before ODA. Be before ODA. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good, 
about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. 